0: Hello everyone, welcome to Tennis with an Accent, produced by our friends at Red Circle. This is Sake hosting the show. U.S. Open is around the corner, and uh, who better than our very own Mert Atunga joining for a preview of the tournament, and mind you, uh, we don't have the draw yet, but we are just going to preview the Open based on the form of uh, the leading players on both sides and also the players who quite didn't deliver in the court season. On that note, uh, welcome back to the podcast, Mert.
1: I'm glad to be here as always, Sakit. Thank you for having me.
0: This is one of the highlights. Every time, you know, we get to talk uh, for me. So let's uh, kick the conversation with Daniel Medvedev. I mean, uh, stellar three weeks. Washington plays a very physical tournament, loses to Kyrgios in two tight sets, Uh, goes to Montreal, makes another run there, looked tired in between, but then, you know, who knows, loses to Nadal. And now, most surprisingly, got the better of Novak Djokovic in a semifinal where he was... uh, you know, uh, had to rely on his plan B. Like you said, he was just serving lights out and just flat second serves and got the better of the best player on the planet and then goes and wins his first Masters 1,000. So two questions rolled into one. What do you make of that kind of an effort? And secondly, is he ready? It's not a knock. Is he ready to deliver on the best of five stage where he's never made a last eight yet? Yes,
1: the, the, the first question is... it's quite impressive uh, quite frankly I don't think anybody would have expected Medvedev or, or for that matter any player any player at all to to have the type of three weeks in a row that uh, Medvedev had let alone him because he's he's rather one of the newer kids on the block if you think about the whole ensemble of, um, of ATP players and uh, so is what he what he accomplished is, is extremely impressive I I personally felt or thought in the late rounds of uh, Canada and also in the late rounds here in Cincinnati, Cincinnati that he was going to run out of either gas or or his his concentration was going to waver and i did not uh, i would not have expected to, for him to go to the finals in both tournaments let alone win the second one and again you know in, in the semis in the finals of each tournament i felt like okay this is a, this is probably where he loses it's it's, it's an embarrassment at all He still had a good tournament. It's a great buildup for U.S. Open, but he went further in each than I expected. As to your second point, whether he can deliver in a best-of-five or not, that's probably a topic that we should take up along with everybody else uh, involved in the U.S. Open, and uh, that's a big question mark. uh, As far as I'm concerned, you can play as well as possible and do as well as Medvedev did, did for three weeks in a row leading up to it, but then comes a uh, best of five situation. It's a different ball game, especially with the big three around. So uh, we also would need to define what we mean by can Medvedev, can Medvedev deliver. You know, sure he can deliver. He's shown that it, he's shown that he's got the goods. But can he do that uh, seven matches in a row or six matches in a row, best of five, even with the days in between? Uh, I'm not so sure. I think that's a problem that not only him but a group of guys are going to face. Uh, at the u s open and, pr- and probably next two or three uh majors to come you need you need to become seasoned in uh, in the majors before becoming a serious threat and uh, there are not many guys who can who who can who we can qualify as having done that outside the big three
0: mm-hmm. now, I think very well said murd and i i hundred percent agree in your assessment uh, again, this is not an exercise to just agree with you know, our friends like you and Matt when he's here. But uh, I'm also the same thought. Uh, He surprised everyone by putting this three weeks where he, you know, won what, 15 matches uh, over, you know, the course of uh, the heat, you know, summer heat and is looking really good. Has surpassed, I think, all the young guns just based on his consistency, but at the same time majors something else. And uh, when I say deliver in my book, I think a quarterfinal showing would be a terrific start. Uh, to, you know, live up to his seeding. Uh, He's never done that. I think he lost in a round of 32, a round of 16 to Novak in Australia and then uh, lost early at Wimbledon. So, yeah, I think that's what I think deliver again. Anything can happen. I mean, you know, he can pull a Marat Safin. you know, what he did in 2000, just come and just serve lights out and, you know, win the Open. Uh, Is it possible? We haven't seen something like that happen in a long, long time for someone who's never, you know, entered... Uh, the second week of a major, uh, but uh, I think quarterfinal would be a good success for me if uh, uh, Daniel Medvedev, you know, can build upon uh, the tremendous summer he's had. Uh, that's, that's how I think. And uh, before we, you know, start breaking this down, I would like to pick your brain and just uh, if you can revisit uh, the Mr. August performance by Patrick Rafter in the summer of 98 when he was just serving and walling in each and every single tournament, and I think he played seven weeks in a row. Uh, I tweeted about it a few a few days ago when uh, Medvedev won the tournament. Then Mark, uh, sorry, Robbie Connick tweeted the same thing. Uh, so what do you recall of that season when Rafter won four tournaments, including the U.S. Open, and then also reached a final in, I think, Connecticut? And, uh, yeah, talk about that.
1: That's right. And that was incredible. And I was a big Rafter fan in those days. I think, I think most of us were. And, uh, you know, I've been a neutral tennis uh watcher since uh, since the late 80s and uh, I have never been a fan of a player over everyone else but I think all of us were at one point Patrick Rafter fan because of his approach and uh, to tennis and, and, and his his general uh, behavior and his, the way he treated his peers and and, and so forth but uh, so, yes, I was definitely rooting for Rafter in those weeks that I remember very well. I remember his 1998 final in Cincinnati against uh, Sampras. Yep. And, uh,
0: uh-huh.
1: and I remember that he uh, he needed to defeat uh, several um, – uh, I think he, he – I'm trying to remember who he defeated in the quarterfinals and semifinals of Cincinnati in that 1998 draw. And it, and, and it escapes me now, but he defeated – a different, um, I mean, players with different styles in a row, three days in a row. That's, that, that's the best that I can remember. And, no, uh, even uh, even the yeah. final was pretty
0: pretty uh, good final because they also played a few weeks later at the U.S. Open where, you know, Sampras wasn't too happy when uh, the Arthur Ashe crowd was split. You know, Rafter was getting that's a lot right. of support, you know, for, right. for, for non-American. And if I
1: remember correctly, didn't also Rafter have a few comments about Sampras after that final?
0: Uh, saying
1: that he uh, he 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 uh, he lowered his effort level and then uh, late in the match uh, I remember I remember Rafter being critical of Sampras. No, I I think, of, I think
0: uh, uh, if uh, I think Sampras said when they asked him uh I, I think in Cincinnati when uh, Rafter beat him they said what's the difference between you and him and he said 11 grand or something and that of course yeah. you know <laughs> didn't come across good and I think in the summer of 99 when Rafter became number 1 and he surprised everyone by saying something along the lines, uh, I'm not too off here, but he said, you know, time I beat Pete Sampras in anything, it gives me the utmost pleasure. And then, you know, Sampras didn't realize that he had offended Rafter. And I, I guess, you know, they clarified a little later on, like, you know, because the, the previous comment, different of like 11 or 12 slams, I think had sat with Rafter for a while. And when he got the opportunity, uh, he let Sampras know that, you know, it wasn't cool. But uh, to your point... On uh, Cincinnati, I just opened the ATP draw sheet. Uh, Rafter had beaten yeah. Martin Korda, Kefalnikov, and Sampras, and back to There you matches. go. Yeah. There you go.
1: I mean, that's that, that that's a very tough uh, three three wins in a row, right there to win, and then and then he turns around and uh, and he continued on with his form. And the, the, I, I think what he what he accomplished actually there, uh, well, I, I have to admit, is, is the is the best uh, marathon run on hard courts. That I've ever seen. So I'm sure someone else has done maybe even even better than that at some point, but the Rafter's 1998 hardcourt run, including those titles in the U.S. Open after that, I don't think can be can be equaled anytime soon. And what Medvedev did certainly does not equal it. Although Medvedev does did it uh, in 2019 under a lot uh, a lot rougher circumstances. People, you know, players are hitting harder. Uh, they have to. The, the players have to sprint faster to to balls. I think than they did 20, 21 years ago. And although not on hard courts, you've had similar runs on clay courts and um, and, you know, and on other surfaces of players going you know three, four, five weeks in a row and doing well. In fact, I wrote a feature on the on um, on, on you know, Albert Portas's run. Yeah. Uh, on the 14th with an accent in you know, in two thousand in nineteen ninety-seven, one year prior after on Clay Course, where he played nineteen matches in twenty days and in three tournaments. So it, it it was it was done more frequently back then than it was done today. That's that's what makes Medvedev's accomplishments so impressive. Because nowadays we we even talk about players going to the finals of a masters tournament and then maybe have we consider it a good idea for them to maybe take the next week off. Whereas that was unheard of back in the days. No, def- uh,
0: definitely what definitely. you're saying m- makes sense. But at the same time, uh, wh- how hard it is to serve and volley for seven weeks. I mean, 98 balls were still being hard, pretty hard, of course. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, it was a different game. But, you know, serve and volley on both serves. And Rafter, we know, really couldn't rally from the baseline. He had a liability of a forehand. He would find any opportunity, just like Edberg, to come in even on your serve. So, Servin volley seven consecutive weeks on hard courts, and and just to you know give viewers, uh, no, listeners, some perspective, he he ran through the field in Mont- uh, sorry Toronto, uh, beating Neville Godwin, Mark Philippoussis, Jonas Bjorkman, Tim Henman, Richard Krajicek, and he only played one tie break. He didn't lose a set, and I believe he wasn't even broken maybe many times. That's how good he was serving. He was backing his game by volleys. He wasn't winning like Becker or Ivani Savage or Sampras with a lot of aces. He would just do the one-two punch. The backhand volley was like a rock.
1: Yeah, so Sakyev, repeat those names again because that that's an incredible run there. Read those yeah. those names yeah. again. Who did he beat?
0: Neville Godwin of South Africa, then Mark Filipousis, then Jonas Bjorkman, Tim Henman, Richard Krejcik.
1: That's, that's quite a run. And then he backs that up with with Korda, Kafelikov and Sampras in Cincinnati. Yep. Wow.
0: That's something, right?
1: <laughs> that's, that, that's outrageous.
0: Yeah, we don't talk about these kind of streaks because, uh, you know, and, and and Roddick had a pretty impressive 2003 as well. I think Roddick uh, was another guy who, I think Nadal has done that, and Roddick has done that. They won the U.S. Open Masters double in the U.S. Open. Federer and Djokovic still yes. haven't done it because uh, a lot of times people can say they play deep into Wimbledon and either, you know... Uh, and not making excuses for them but again uh, the facts don't lie Nadal and uh, Rafter and Roddick are the three men that have went on to win the two tournaments and the US Open
1: Sure sure it's an incre- it's a, it's an impressive accomplishment
0: All right so let's uh, how do you want to divvy this conversation up of course uh, we can talk about the big 3 but we really cannot add anything new we'll we'll touch upon them but uh, this well, you know uh let, go ahead
1: I suggest I suggest that we discuss Beyond Novak, Novak, Rafa, and Roger, at least the scope should be who can possibly go through the big three and lift the trophy, uh, if 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 there's any such a possibility at all. And the way I see it, there are two groups there. Uh, there's the, the the first group is is there's that group of seasoned um, major players or five setters that we think should ch- should be challenging them at this point, but they're not. And uh, there, I, I guess you could put Marin Chilich in that group, Goffin, um, Kay Nishikori would be one, Fabio Fornini, um, John Isner, Raunich, Puy, Dimitrov. I mean there are there, there are several names there uh, that that have over the last several years come up as being maybe the you know the person to challenge the big three, but they have not. They have not come through Vavrenka. and. Uh, Wawrinka would be well. I was going to put Wawrinka in the, in the in the next batch of the first group that I'm going to mention. now. Okay. Yeah. But uh, you know these are the ones that we thought would be challenging them, but they have not. And then there are there are a couple of others like Wawrinka and Dominic Thiem, who have challenged them. They, they are seasoned five setters. They are seasoned the uh, major players. You know we don't. Murray would have been in this group had he, you know, had he been able to play or have, were he in his, uh, in his top form. But uh, Dominic Thiem and Stan Wawrinka are the three names that come to my mind from this season, from the group of seasoned five setters or seasoned major players that could possibly challenge Novak, Rafa, and Roger. And and then I would I would also personally like to add in that group uh, now uh, perhaps Roberto Bautista Agut because of the kind of year that he's had and simply because of the fact that he's a uh, he's he's a very seasoned five you know major player himself. So when he goes up against one of the three he's not going to be intimidated. In other words, he will walk out there thinking, you know, he's got a good chance to win, and, and that's how Bautista Agud operates anyway. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't shy away from, uh, from challengers. And, and, and the reason why I did not mention Team Wawrinka and Bautista Agud to a lesser degree among the previous group is because on a given day with the right circumstances... And yes, that cliche has to be used, the right circumstances, because under usual circumstances, it does not seem like anyone, anyone has a chance to, to go through the big three. But under the right circumstances, those few names, those couple of names or three names could possibly eliminate one of the big three. But that for eliminating you know, a couple of them or going through them to win the tournament, that's a whole other uh, situation. And I think then we get into the, to the luck of the draw. You know, you you would need one of the big three to have to lose in a shocker early in the tournament, possibly in the first week, and then you have two of them left, maybe on different sides of the draw, or on the same side of the draw, and one of these names would have to beat one of them only to reach the title. You know, that's the that's the only scenario that I see possibly any any of these guys in the first group going through and winning the title because, uh, let's be honest, Novak, Rafa and Roger have basically taken a walk on uh, on the park, a leisurely walk on the park to reach the semifinals in both Roland Garros and Wimbledon. You know, they've lost, I think, a combined total of five sets or six sets in 30 matches. Uh, And when I say 30 matches, I mean five matches each reaching the semifinals in both French Open and Wimbledon. So, uh, so the, I don't see why why I I don't see how we can possibly simply assume that it's not going to happen again. Uh, it's likely to happen again unless that, that scenario I just mentioned happens, and that's the first group, you know, the seasoned five setters. And then the, the second group, the next group of younger guys who are making big strides in the last uh, year or two, or maybe some for some of them, you could even just say in 2019, they're coming on strong. Except that they're not seasoned competitors in in majors, and meaning some of the intricacies involved in in correctly handling a two week long marathon playing one five setter after another may pass them by or at least more likely to pass them by than in the case of the previous group, you know the guys that have been there many times. look, even you know you know even some of the season ones that I've mentioned before have yet to master that. Uh, that challenge, you know, Nishikori and Raonic come to mind. Even though some of their problems originate in circumstances beyond their control, uh, but they, you know, they, for all for all the experience that they have, they have not mastered yet the uh, the, the the skill of you know playing a, a two week long five setter marathon and do and and reach the final weekend, or even go through the big three to win the, to win a major. And in the second group, the younger group, I mean, I guess. Put Tsitsipas. You could put Medvedev, Kukush, a guy like Kurkach for example, who's, who's a very good player, promising player. Kachanov, or um Taylor Fritz, Riley Opelko, If you want to stretch it, you can include Shapovalov, and maybe I'm even missing a few, a couple of names. Feel free to chip in if you want. These uh, are guys. Curious. Uh, you know, these are. Uh, I'm sorry. Nick Curious. I'm going to put Nick Kyrgios and Alexander Zverev in a separate group. In oh, wow, okay, so you have it all figured
0: out. Okay, then you, you, yeah.
1: have, you have a method wait, here. Go ahead. Yeah, wait, wait for it. But yes, no, no, he would be... You're right, I mean, uh, you know, you can include... These are guys that, uh, again, on a given day, they catch fire and, and win uh, maybe against one of the big three members, but can they actually win the tournament? I'm not sure because because for them... It's not a question of getting to the big three and seeing if they can win, be, beat them. For example, that's the challenge that faces a guy like Dominic Team or Stan Wawrinka. For those guys to lose early and not even have to face one of the big three is a, is a disappointment. You know, whereas with the younger guys that I just mentioned, if they lose earlier than making it far enough to face the big three, yes, it's disappointing perhaps, but it's not so unexpected. And uh, and that and that's the problem that these younger guys face. in a, in a five-set situation, they're not yet used to. And I think to be to be seasoned in in the, in majors and in five setters, you need more than two or three years of uh, of experience. And you need to have already gone a few rounds, in, perhaps even into the second week. And these guys don't have that kind of um, that kind of experience yet. And then you just mentioned Kyrgios and Zverev, and, and I'll try to cut it short because I don't, don't want to talk too long to where you you know we don't get your uh, your view. in. but you know the, Alexander Zverev, I have not mentioned him. Kyrgios, I have not mentioned him among either group because they're more ambiguous. Uh, Zverev, for example, I mean, which group does he really belong in? Do we do we not count him as a seasoned five-set competitor? Um, I guess I guess we can because he's played them. Quite, he's played quite a few, and he's even reached second week. But then again, you do we really do it because he has not gone past quarterfinals. And uh, to me, you you know you become a seasoned slam competitor when you have competed in them for let's say around a decade or so, or you have maybe perhaps competed less than a decade, just for a few years, but I've reached a semifinal or two or a handful of second weeks in the ones that you've competed. And very is at the limit with, with, uh, with, these, um, with these parameters. His form is troublesome, so is he even a threat? I mean, I'm not sure, I'm not even sure that he can be considered a threat. Kyrgios is another one. Is he a threat to win the title or even reach the last weekend? I don't believe so. But can he beat one of the elites on a given day? Absolutely. He's a phenomenal tennis player. So, uh, you know, you put all those factors together, the first group that I mentioned, the second group that I mentioned, and these couple of ambiguous guys here, I still cannot come up with a name or two that I feel have a great chance here to break through and lift the trophy on the men's side.
0: Uh, I I won't differ much. I think uh, you kind of categorize uh, really well how this field, you know, beyond those three players, you know, stacks up in terms of, you know, who can do damage, who can contend, who can cause upsets. But I would like to add something on Zverev because I think we've talked enough, me and Matt, and even when you were here uh, a few months ago talking about the Roland Garros chances. Uh, I saw something yesterday, again, maybe uh, this was my first time at a qualies, I've always gone main draw at US Open. Uh, it was 90 degrees, it was steamy hot. And when we went there, Zverev was in practice court five and... There were like four more courts. Everybody was practicing. This was, I think, uh, five past noon. And then I just watched Zverev and Jean-Laurent Struff absolutely crushed the ball. And they were, you know, uh, and then we said, OK, let's check out other practice. And we kept an eye on Zverev because uh, pretty soon at 1 p.m., Federer was supposed to be there. Uh, Federer was running late, but everybody else left. But Zverev and Struff, you know, kept practicing. And apparently now I know they had the court for almost two hours and even then, Nick Kyrgios came with Kokinakis, Jack Sock was practicing with Philip Kohlschreiber. So the 1 p.m. batch also left, and these guys were still there till, like, quarter past two. Federer made a cameo of 20 minutes with Lajovic, and, you know, later on we found out he played three practice sets uh, on Ash. Uh, and then I saw Zverev practice in Armstrong a little later. And I was surprised, uh, Murt. and you can probably weigh in here because you've attended these events more. And I also want to ask you as a coach, So is this normal, like, for a top player? to be extending himself uh, almost three hours on day one of uh, qualies. He probably has been in New York you know, longer because he didn't do well in Cincy. Uh, my argument to satisfy my answer would be he hasn't won many matches. But can you over practice during a slam? Is this normal uh, for a top player or any player to spend like three hours on such a hot, humid day?
1: The, 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 uh, the, the, to answer your question, it's not it's not that abnormal that on a Monday or a Tuesday before the tournament starts, you spend two or three hours of intensive practice on on the court. What's What's interesting here, or what perhaps is alarming, is the fact that they choose to do that at the hottest moment of the day, right? Because from what I understand, what you're saying is they did this from a window of 12 12 to 3 o'clock, or 1 to 3.30, am I correct?
0: Uh, Zverev and Struf, I believe, were hitting, you know, at noon, and they were there till, like, quarter past two, and then... uh, See, there you go. Yeah, and then I saw Zverev at 4 p.m. again. Maybe he took a break, but Struf wasn't there, and Armstrong, it was covered. It was very cool compared to outside because they had the roof on. So, Zverev was with his dad and, uh, you know, his team just practicing serves, and, you know... Taking volleys, cross country
1: Yeah, I, I guess, Saki. Okay, what I would, I mean, look. Everybody has their own uh, practice schedule, of course, and people want to do what uh, they feel most comfortable doing. But uh, it would, it would seem to me that it would be more sense. Uh, it would make more sense to have, first of all, the, the practice in two and a half hours, and then maybe another hour. A second session is not abnormal uh, Monday or Tuesday before a big tournament starts. It would be weird if, if it was done Saturday or Sunday, you know, before the tournament starts. But, uh, but, uh, but five or six days before it's not abnormal. But probably if he had that, if he had, had he done that, say from 8.30 a.m. to 11 a.m. and then another, you know, session from 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. and I'm just throwing out hours there, uh, would have made more sense to me. Than, than having done it, you know, doing it at, at ninety degree weather at one o'clock to three thirty, hmm. that's that's the part that uh, that's, that comes across strange to me. I would not the amount of practice or not the hour that the number of hours of practice, but rather the timing.
0: Okay, and and going back to I think the comments you made on you know the subcategories of uh, you know players beyond the big three. Uh, I would like to just stick with Zverev and then maybe come to Pass. and uh, feel free if you disagree. Or uh, The way I see it, again, I'm not going to go into the technical details because it's pretty well documented that Zverev is lacking confidence. His serve was talked about such a force last year. And now the guy served, about 17-18 double falls, you know, in Cincinnati. Hey. Uh, but I, I remember a famous line from Becker, and I think it's not even his own line, but he said, you know, I always remember my losses. And, and you have to think what he just said in the five-set context. Such, such as where I've compared to Sitsipas and Medvedev and even Kyrgios for almost close to two years has been expected to break through the shackles and you know make his claim to the biggest stages of tennis and he's had some very bad losses to Chung and then uh, you know at, at other majors as well. So not sure you know what he's learned but at some point I think those bad losses will accumulate enough in my opinion to serve as experience. And, you know, not sure how he's going to make this U.S. Open because I think he needs to fall a little more, I think, whatever his level is, before he rises again. But I think, in my opinion, uh, compared to the other names, even Kyrgios, because Kyrgios was, you know, he's talented, but, you know, there's always injuries and, you know, he's not training well. But Zverev was expected for almost, uh, you know, middle of 2018 to now, or even beginning of 2018, to, you know, to make quarters and semis and beyond because he's had success as Masters 1000. So I think at some point... Uh, you know, staying away from the technical adjustments, whatever his game is at. But I think at some point that experience is going to serve him because you know enough has to be enough. I think I'm not saying he's going to win a tournament, but I think at some point that will serve him well in the long run.
1: Sure, sure. No, I, I completely agree with uh, everything you said there. And once again, you know, the 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 more experience you accumulate in the majors, reaching the say se- reaching the second week, uh, quarterfinals, semifinal, but if you can semifinals, etc. and Perhaps even losing to the big three, once, one, once, twice, thrice, or four times, the more chances you have of overcoming that barrier you be, because simply by by virtue of be, you know becoming tuned in to that to that next goal, which becomes uh, your point of focus. Mm-hmm. So yes, uh, I, I'm I'm completely with you there. He will he will probably he will probably break through the shackles at one point. Well, when that will happen, of course, is anybody's guess. But, but also, you know, I would like to, from there, I would like to jump into another point that, that, that I feel is important for any of these guys, including Zverev, to, to perhaps break through for, for a title or even a final appearance in this U.S. Open. It, 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 he will, whoever that player is, will have to find the right combination of baseline power and productive transition game. And 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 notice, Saki. I'm not saying their net game. I'm saying I'm underlining the word transition. And the uh, people who may have listened to Darren Cahill's podcast with you, uh, I would strongly suggest anyone who hasn't done so to do so. Cahill talked about this a little bit, how the lack of transition in the men's game—not necessarily net skills at the net, but transition game—and um, these guys, if they want to have. A good chance to to break through in the U.S. Open. Any of these guys that I mentioned beyond the big three, to, they they need to include a good transition game into their game into their tactic tactical play. Meaning, you know, it's not how well they hit the volleys, but it's their willingness to come to the net and no. choosing the right time and following behind a good approach shot. So,
0: so Sibas has but, to be the best exponent, then, right, Mark, For that, uh, yes.
1: Yes, in, in, in fact, that's what I was just I was about to say next about him. Along with, uh, I mean, you can even say uh, a guy like uh, Nick Kyrgios, for example, he's willing to come in. Now, Nick Kyrgios chooses to, sometimes but by choice, he stays back and tries to nail the winner, you know, n- nail the ball for a winner. But he also has the ability to hit an approach shot and come in, and he does. He's not afraid to do so. So I would put, I would put Sitsipas. Uh, in that uh, context, a step ahead of all his counterparts due to the, and, and, and along with, along with Kieros, who's also willing to come in. Now you do have a couple of other guys who, who have a chance to perhaps shine on their own turf, so to speak, Taylor Fritz and Riley Opelka, you know, they're, they they're not afraid of coming to the net either, but that's due to the nature of their game. They have big serves and Opelka, for example, will serve in volley sometimes Will come in, but even them uh, during exchanges, when once they get um, stuck in a baseline rally, sometimes they show reluctance to follow their big shots to the net, which Sitsipas does not. Tsitsipas will follow a good shot to the net, he's not afraid to go in whatsoever. He he integrates it into his game well. So, I think in that sense, he's got a step ahead of the other guys. I mean, even even Daniel Medvedev, Sakib. Uh, you know, as, as as good a three-week stretch as he's had, there are matches where I felt he had several chances during the points, even against Goffin in the finals, where he set up the point well, he got a ball inside the baseline, he even moved inside the baseline, uh, perhaps, you know, four or five meters away from the service line, and he hit a nice deep backhand or a forehand to the corner and got Goffin on the run. And he would still not follow that up to the net. He would stay back and then try to win it on the next shot or two with a winner from the baseline. Now, he didn't do this always. I'm saying this as if he, can, he consistently stayed back. No, actually, he did come in on some shots too, throughout the two weeks. I have some uh, need to collect some more data because I know that he did that, for example, in uh, Montreal in, in, the, in the semis and finals. He came in some behind them too. So he's on the way to doing it right but he's, but he's got to do it more. He didn't beat Novak. For example, he didn't win against Novak in the, second, in, in the semifinals because of this. He just simply changed tactics, like you said, went for big second serves, started going big on his shots, and they went in, and he won. But, but I think a, a player to break, to break through the, the big three and, the, and, and make a serious run at the title, or at least for the final, they will need to combine baseline power with a productive transition game. Karen Kachanov is another guy that comes that comes to mind. He leaves a lot of chances to come behind a good shot to the net. You know, Kukush is an interesting mix because his volley skills are not great, but good enough to rely on them for a promising transition game, and he does do it some, but he doesn't do it enough. So I think the, the you know, for one for one of these guys to go, to come through, they're going to have to find the right combination. That goes for. Zverev, Tsitsipas, Kachanov, and you know all the all the names that I mentioned uh, before. Oh, Jelena even you know if you want to get that far.
0: Luka Pui, I think, comes to the net on his terms. I think he has a transition game. I'm no coach like you, but I think he, he no, may, no no you
1: you are right. He you may lack right.
0: the power of uh, or a punch of Kachanov or Zverev, but I think Pui definitely, I think uh, you know has more of a transition game from what I'm trying to understand what he just said. I think he's one guy who has a variety. He plays super aggressive tennis, but uh, I think he's a notch below in terms of, you know, the ability at this point, who can surprise a big three.
1: No, you, you are right. Pui is one, you know, a minute ago when I was talking, I guess I was just considering the younger guys, but you're right. Out of the seasoned ones, season five set players or players that have that have experience in the majors, Pui is definitely one that will follow, follow to the net.
0: So It's so Martin, necessary. And, and, you know,
1: John Isner is another one, too. And so is Miloš Raonic. Really, he'll come to the net. But, yeah. uh, you know, these, but then there are some other variables in the equation that keeps them from being successful in a, in a two-week, five-step marathon situation.
0: So before we talk uh, a little bit about the big three, let's talk about uh, the two men, uh, Wawrinka, and especially Dominic Team. When I met Tim Mayotte at his academy. He was asking me, he put me on the spot. He said, who, who do you think has the best chance outside of those guys? And just because how the U.S. Open played last year, humid, high-bouncing conditions, and Tim is fit as a you know fit as an ox. I mean, I I think he's the guy. Uh, of course, you know he can crash out in the first round because he hasn't been well since Montreal. Uh, uh, so Tim, I think Tim, you know, there's too much time taken away from where he stands and his shots. He's not gonna succeed at this kind of a tournament. Uh, again, uh, I'm gonna challenge what Tim said, but what do you think? Uh, is our team's chances. Why are you putting him so high? Just uh, he's, I think the way you put it, him and Wawrinka are like in the next group. They're the first contenders, according
1: to no, you. No, I, I agree with you that he's he's in great shape and uh, he's shown before that he can he can play with the with the top players on hard courts and he can perhaps even put himself in a position to beat them. He's certainly uh, the most... Uh, experienced guy in terms of success in majors, it, uh, right after Wawrinka. So I think the, uh, for all those reasons, plus the fact that he uh, he's, he's one guy that does not get intimidated when he re- when he engages in a baseline rally against any of the big three. In other words, he can pull. He, he'll, stay, he'll stay with them. He will uh, he will hit. He will generate winners from any anywhere in the court. He can change his game. He can vary his game. He's got a pretty good serve. Now nice. he doesn't have a booming serve, but he places it very well. He's got the ingredients to to um, to do well in majors. He's got the experience too, and it's just for you know for him. It's the the big question is, and the reason why actually we are questioning his uh, his ability to win a major other than French Open is simply because it's it's at the U.S. Open and it's on hard courts. And because we haven't seen him reach the finals of a major in hard courts, we, or we haven't seen him have the type of success in another major, uh, as he has had at the at Roland Garros, that's the only reason why. So I, I think if we if we look at the ingredients, his tactics, his ability, his uh, his shots, his shot uh, production, I don't think there's any reason to think that he cannot do it. So it's it's more of a mental block perhaps that he has to overcome, just like. We have to overcome as tennis fans of accepting him as a major threat on hard courts. I think he's earned the right to be considered a major threat, even on hard courts. And from then if he uh, his uh, results for the last year.
0: And I would like to add something. what that I really saw good. at Roland Garros, I mean, he was always, you know. I mean, I put him above Federer when we talked about, you know, uh, who the favorites are. And uh, I think Federer had a phenomenal French Open. But I think what impressed me the most about Team was, of course, you know. Uh, he's reached two finals and then previous two years semis. I mean, the guy is consistent as they come, you know, right outside of the big three and Andy Murray category at at French Open. But also, I remember his first two matches were pretty tricky. I think Bublik and Tommy Paul were just swinging from the hip. And, you know, the, I remember those two matches had some very close calls, like had team you know, not played super aggressive tennis, he could have been easily down, I think. Two sets to love against Paul or two sets to one. And I think that showed me maturity. Like, he didn't back away from that. He was there to win the title, to challenge the Rafas and the Novaks. But, you know, and he encountered Tommy Paul. And to me, that just showed so much growth that he played a super aggressive match on Long Lawn when conditions were kind of fast and bouncy. And Tommy Paul was absolutely crushing the ball. He was playing with the house money, like Matt would say. And to me, that was very impressive for team. You know, again, he's expected yeah. to beat Paul, but a lot of times it shows that you're ready for the challenge. You're not, you know, he didn't cave in.
1: Of course. And then once again, we go back to the same idea of uh, of being seasoned, right? I mean, he's a, he's a seasoned player. And, and let's, let, let me also, uh, I may be wrong here by a round or two, so if I'm wrong, I, I, I apologize from the, from the listeners. But if I'm, if I'm correct, I mean, if memory serves, I, I think for the, he has reached the second week of U.S. Open straight for the last five or six years, if I'm not wrong. Maybe one of those years, he may have gotten stuck at the, the third round, but I think he's, right, he's reached fourth round or better at the U.S. Open for the last five years, I would I would venture to say. And, uh, and, you know, that uh, how old was he five years ago? For example, I think in, in, in 2015 uh, at the U.S. Open, he might have perhaps lost in the uh, – I, I think he lost to Kevin. I remember him losing to Kevin Anderson. That might have been actually the first week in the second or third round. But I think after that, 2016, 2017, 18, uh, the last, you know, three years in a row, I think he's reached the second round of the U.S. Open each time. And, uh, and you know, put that together with his quarterfinal challenge of Rafael Nadal last year, seven six in the fifth. That shows improvement over time or consistency over time at the U.S. Open on hard courts. So I would uh, I would venture to say that uh, this is a good you know the time is ripe for him to do well at this U.S. Open, perhaps even go beyond the uh, the quarterfinals and. And I just found it. And yes, he did lose to he did lose in two thousand sixteen, Sakib team lost in the round of sixteenth to Juan Martín Del Potro. He retired. Uh, in in two thousand seventeen, he lost again in the round of sixteenth, again to Juan Martín Del Potro, six four in the fifth. And in two thousand eighteen, he lost in the quarterfinals to Rafael Nadal, seven six in the fifth. That match that we all remember well. So that's uh, that's Three years of good showing at the U.S. Open and in improvement each single time, and uh, so the, you know that's there's no there's absolutely no reason for me to believe that he will not be the first or second in line to challenge the big three at the U.S. Open.
0: Hmm, I think uh, that kind of uh, I think covers a lot of ground in this conversation, and I I'm also of the feeling that you know if team. Uh, is keeping good health, and you know he survives a couple of rounds. He could be very tricky for anyone. He's going to make a deep run, and uh, and let's talk a little bit about Sitsipas. And before uh, we wrap the conversation on the men's side, uh, Sitsipas again uh, played, I think, the match of the year against Fabrinka at Roland Garros. Since then, he's uh, five and six, I believe. Uh, I know, you know, a lot of people won't put stalk into this and you can dismiss this notion right away I won't be offended but you think at his young career that kind of a match could take some life out of young legs and maybe uh, you know that's why he's had some lackluster results after Roland Garros or you think uh, his footwork like Susie our good friend said that on hard and grass his footwork still you know he falls too much on the back foot and clay he makes up for that so is there a technical adjustment uh, where do you stand with that?
1: Yes, I, I tend to agree with our good friend. Uh, to, he does have a bit of a uh, f- perhaps uh, I call it, I don't find them slow at all. Yeah, I find them quite fast actually in moving. But his first step sometimes on a, on a ball that's hit hard to his forehand side, for example, his first step to the side sometimes is a bit late. And that affects him in in, in, the, in returns. Against against big servers or or during the rally when somebody hits big to his on 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 hardcores but uh, you know we're talking but the, the detail I'm mentioning is very hard to set up by uh, by opponents or, or, or only in certain circumstances does that come into play he's got plenty of other weapons with which he can cover that uh, the, the those weaknesses and I guess we would, for sure, we, in my opinion, we would be considering him right with Dominic Thiem and Wawrinka maybe in terms of threat to the big three had he not had a bad Canadian Open in Cincinnati Masters outings. In other words, you know, he lost to Hurkacz, uh, 6-3 in the third, which I didn't think was that big an upset, personally. Uh, and then and then he goes on and, and in Cincinnati loses to Struth, in the third, which once again, taken by itself, one would not consider that big an upset. But the two of those together in a row where he loses first, you know, after one match in each uh, ATP 1000 tournament. And that kind of erases the, uh, the, the showing, the semifinal showing that he had at Washington Open and puts everything back in doubt again. And uh, for a young player, you know, that can, that can play, that can wreak havoc. And that's perhaps where his loss to Wawrinka, like you said, might come back into play is that uh, maybe he, you know, he might've felt himself like he's getting over that loss, uh, and, and now all of a sudden he finds himself, you know, back at square one. Am I, am I doing something wrong? Am I having a sophomore jinx after, after a few good months? Uh, he could be doubting himself, so uh, you know we, uh, it's hard to get into his head and see what he's thinking. But uh, but I would not be surprised, and I would really not hold it that much against him. If if uh, as a as a, as a youngster, as an up and comer, you know that bothered him a little bit mentally. But Sakib, all that can go away if he ha- if he plays a good couple of first rounds in the first two rounds at the U.S. Open and reaches the third round, he will not remember any of that. You know that that will be. Far back in the past. I'm
0: hmm. uh, talking about uh, not remembering the past. Uh, how does the great Roger Federer uh, move ahead? I know you know he's made an art of forgetting tough losses. But I told Matt in our podcast, uh, this is going to be a hard one to shake off, even for you know the great Federer, because he's never served for a Wimbledon title and not come away with it. So And uh, now he's coming with just one hardcourt match. It's kind of new waters for Roger. So what do you make of... Uh, his prep, but he did look pretty fit yesterday, you know, from what I saw and then my friend saw three sets of his practice. He definitely looks fitter than last year when he was at the Open.
1: Yeah. No, he can, uh, uh, he's, he's, he's got more, he he got two matches, right? Am I am I wrong in this? He has, he has two, two yeah, matches good. under you his belt.
0: Londero, you're right, yeah, he lost two Ruble. Yeah.
1: So he, has, he, he has one win and two total matches under his belt. Uh, same situation with him, He's you know, he has a couple of good first uh, two rounds. And, it'll be, and, and he'll be ready to go. Uh, whether he'll he put that uh, loss behind him or not, we will only know if he faces uh, uh, Novak again, or if he goes to the semifinals and faces Rafa or Novak again, and finds himself in a in a in a in a, in a big match situation. But uh, what what makes the loss different uh, for uh, for Roger because he has lost his fair share of matches from being match point up. It's just like you said. It's you know he served for the title, and uh, that was the first time he lost it that way. But I still think I I think he'll uh, if he's on the court. Um, let me put it to you this way, Saki. If he's on the court uh, on a fifth set and he's leading forty fifteen on his serve at I don't know six five in the fifth set against uh, a player doesn't have to be Novak against any any player. I don't think he will treat that forty fifteen point any differently than. Uh, and he treats any other at that moment
0: and greg rosetsky is another tennis pundit who's been in the you know he he's known to give opinions that's what he's doing and i think he said uh and david law was calling that on his podcast that you know federer is not in the mix as far as making the semis according to him because he's kind of undercooked uh, i'm not buying that i still think like oh dear whatever
1: yeah i've heard that before the french open too and you know how i felt about that and uh, yeah. no that's, uh, you know for, uh, At this point, I would be quite surprised if any of the big three lose before the semifinals. And that includes Roger Federer.
0: Is Nadal a bigger favorite like the bookies have put him uh, than Roger for you just because he won Canada? Or you think uh, a lot can change after they played the first week and play into form? This is something a close call for you?
1: Yeah, I think if they both if they had to face uh, each other in the semifinals again, I would not call one favorite over the other. At Wimbledon, uh, I can understand. You know, I can understand a lot. A lot of people felt that uh, Nadal was the favorite going into that semifinal. I can certainly understand that he uh, he played very well up to the semifinal, and um, and he just beat him in three straight sets a month ago at the French. Granted, it's on clay, but now, nonetheless, it's a major. I can completely see that, but uh, but now uh, if they both go to the semifinals and they have to play for the first time at the U.S. Open, I don't think, uh, I, I dare anybody to call one favored over the other.
0: Hmm. And, uh, I, would,
1: I would go into that 50-50. They, that's their, it's their first time at the U.S. Open if they face each other. I would completely call that 50-50. Okay, they, let's they, they, they just, just faced each other twice and they went one and one.
0: Sure. Let's dwell on uh, the world number one defending champion and the best player in the game, Novak Djokovic. Uh, He's an overwhelming favourite. You know, the loss against Medvedev doesn't really do any harm to his status as, you know, the man to beat. But just by how glorious he is and, you know, how he's so tough to win the last point in the best of five scenario, uh, let's put a reverse spin to this. What is a tough draw for Novak Djokovic? Who are the players who can challenge him in the first few rounds? You know, otherwise, you know, it's his tournament to lose from day one, but uh, with, you know, so who are some of the challenges, uh, you know, that can, that can cause him out of comfort zone? Martin Fuchovic took a set in those very testy conditions at Ash last year when it was so humid. Djokovic had some breathing issue. He, you know, had to see the doctor, but then, you know, we all know how that tournament ended. So are there any, any dangers in the draw that can, you know, catch Novak off guard?
1: well uh, probably was a couple of the americans that may not be seated that may have big serves and uh, and perhaps give him give him uh, give him trouble early i don't know if they can beat him but maybe take a set off of him or a couple of sets off of him that way um that way he might have a few more problems in the later rounds uh you know take a guy like i don't know if they will be seated but uh, you know take a guy like um, Opelka or fritz that i mentioned before uh, you know, if they can uh, perhaps take a set off of him. Or I don't know if uh, who will be seated or not. I mean, you know, you can have a guy like Denis Shapovalov go, go on a crazy run for about a set and and take a set off of anybody, including Novak. Uh, also, I'm assuming that Kyrgios is not going to be seated. Yeah,
0: Kyrgios right? is number 29, so he'll be seated.
1: He is number Okay, he will be seated. So he will not be... But nonetheless, you know, none of the, those guys, if they play Novak, uh, you know, in the in the first four rounds or so, uh, could give him trouble. But uh, outside of that, I mean, could give him trouble for a set or two, maybe, uh, Saki, but I just don't see them beating him. I, I just don't yeah, see and, them be, that, beating him. Yeah, and
0: that's why I position this question, because, you know, he's one player. The more matches he wins in, I think it's so tough to beat him. Uh, but at the same time, it's also very unlikely for anyone to go through this Djokovic in a best of five format in the, in round one or two. You know, so, so. Uh, yeah,
1: I think I think a perfect example would be the you know his match against Hurkacz in at Wimbledon. I mean, here's a guy who Hurkacz played fantastic tennis for two sets and split the first two sets, and then just simply could not keep up with that level for the, after that. And uh, you know, something like that could happen again. I, I that that's where the best of five makes a big difference and that's where being seasoned playing best of five majors Hmm. makes a difference
0: now novak's record at the open is very similar to i think Lendl, right he's won three opens and then he's lost i think two finals to nadal one to murray one to wavrinka one to federer so it's pretty much like Lendl, three and five so i think that's one tournament where you see him winning a you know a few more majors at least uh he has he's as good a bet to be five and five at one day
1: of course of course. All
0: right, so Marit, we've got 15 minutes and uh, let's switch to the ladies. Uh, we uh, had a pretty eventful summer. Uh, uh, Bianca Andreescu and now Madison Keys has finally coming off age and and we've had a resurgence of Svetlana Kuznetsova and then there are some key players who really, you know, due to either injury or form didn't make much of an impact like Petra Kvitova and Sloane Stephens and Naomi Osaka had a sighting in uh in uh, Canada before losing to Serena Williams so how do you stack that side of the house uh, of course there are a lot more favorites we all can agree a lot more players can win the whole thing but how, how, what are your impressions of the summer leading up to the Big Apple well the
1: the, 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 uh, the dynamics on, on women's draw is uh, makes it really difficult to pick the favorite not because we can I mean not because we cannot Saki if we really want to Sit there and say, okay, here are my three or four favorites to win to make the last uh, weekend. I think all of us can come up with three or four names and make make a uh, just make justifiable arguments to to uh, to support our view. I think what makes it hard there is that there are a lot of say I don't know a dozen players or so below the top eight to ten players who can at any moment any round. Any day, take out those top uh, eight to ten players. So what you get instead is you don't have to. For example, a player like Sakari or or Vekic, they could possibly make the semifinals or the finals. Okay, I'm, I know it's a stretch, but let's say they make the semifinals or the finals, not having to face two or three of the favorites. Or maybe having to face none of the favorites, you know, not even play a top five or top ten player, and still make it to the semifinals and or finals. That's the dynamics that you have on the women's side that you don't have on the on the men's side. That's why it makes it so much more fun to to follow for more hardcore tennis fans like you and I to follow what happens in the first week of the women's tournament, right? I mean, you got. I can give you names. I mean, I can give you, you know, Serena Williams, Simona Halep to start with. And then I can say Ashley Barty and Naomi Osaka, you know, the next two for me, if I want to pick favorites, then I can say, well, you know, right behind those fours, go with, I don't know, Pliskova, uh, Kvitova, uh, Madison Keys, or and, and even uh, maybe Bianca Andreescu. Okay, let's say, or, or I want to go with those four uh, as my next four. Now, I can justify that, or I can stand behind those picks. And I might even take out one of them and throw in Sofia Kennan, who reached both semis of Cincinnati and Toronto. Uh, you know, she had a good good show. But then I'm leaving out a slew of players. Like uh, I didn't even mention, you know, Berdians. Plischko. I, I mentioned uh, Plischko. I did not mention Plischko. I don't
0: think you mentioned. Yeah, I think. Okay. Okay. Then that's a
1: mistake on my part. Put let me let me put Plischko back to back to back on that group. So let's make that group of nine players. And, uh, and, and again, you know, I did not mention Bertens. I, I mentioned Vekic and Sakari in another context, but there are those two players. Then there's Sabalenka, there's Conta, there's Sevastova. Sloan. There's Kerber. <laughs> I'm sorry?
0: Sloan Stevens.
1: Yes, yeah, Sloan Stevens. I mean, you can't counter out. Petra uh, Kvidova. Exactly. Kvidova I did mention, but to make a long story short, uh, you know, you did, uh, there's eight or nine name, names that I did not mention who could at any moment beat one of those favorites that I mentioned earlier. And they could do it in the third round or in the fourth round. So one of the other favorites or one of the other names could possibly from that side of the draw make it to the quarterfinals or semifinals without having faced anybody in the top five or anybody in the top ten. So that is why it is harder to pick, it, or, or even if you pick favorites on the women's side, it is harder to see... Uh, all those favorites together make it to the semifinals. You might see one or two of them make it, but not all four of the ones that you picked personally. Yeah. And that's why we've yeah. had 12 different uh, semifinalists in the, in the first three uh, majors of the year. I mean, e- even the top favorites, you know, uh, Serena Williams, you know, we, we, we don't exactly know how she is physically, you know, going into the US Open. Simona Halep, you know, retired against Buscova uh, in Toronto. And then lost to Keys in the round of 16s at Cincinnati, which I thought was an improvement from uh, from, from the previous week, obviously. And it was a tough loss, tough loss to to, to Keys, but it was a very close loss, and Keys went on to, went on to win the tournament. So I'm personally still considering Simona Halep a favorite at the U.S. Open. And um, she a and bigger favorite Ashley, than I'm sorry.
0: Sorry, I was going to say she a bigger favorite than Ashley Barty.
1: Yes, actually, Barty is the next one. Um, w- which one of them I consider the big, biggest, bigger favorite between Halep and Barty? Personally, I would consider Halep the bigger favorite between the two by, by a hair hairline. I mean, very slim uh, margin. But um, you, you look at Barty. I mean, he, she lost to Kenin first round in Toronto, but then she went to the Cincinnati semifinals, losing to Kuznetsov, So she she did better in the second tournament. I think she'll be ready at the U.S. Open. Uh, Naomi Osaka lost to Serena and then she lost to Kenin. You know, in the in 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 both tournaments, none of those losses are so-called terrible losses by any means. You know, so she I can't count Osaka out. You got Pliskova quarterfinals in both Cincinnati and in I mean in Canada and in Cincinnati. Madison Keys wins um, Cincinnati, but she loses she lost first round to Vekic in Canada. So there's you know there's a there, there's a situation where a couple of the things that I mentioned happen. A, a player like Donna Vekic can can upset a, a player who has who is considered as one of the favorites to win the U.S. Open. But at the same time, that player can also go on a run and win a big tournament like Cincinnati. That's what Madison Keyes is capable of. But can, can you comfortably say Keyes is going to win the U.S. Open? No, you can't. You can't really say that about uh, anybody on the women's side. And that's what, that's what makes it fun. You know, then with Kvitova played only one match since Wimbledon. You know, she, she lost to Sakari, first round in Cincinnati. Bianca Andreescu won Toronto. You have to consider her as having uh, the potential to win the U.S. Open, even though she's very young. You know, sometimes you might say, well, that's a little bit outrageous. She just came on the scene this year. She's too young. Wait a little bit, but uh, it's possible. uh, I I cannot discount that possibility. I mean, Ostapenko won French Open, so I guess anything is possible Hmm. with with her.
0: So let's, uh, let's, let's talk about Madison Keys. So if you want the final and some of her tennis this week. Uh, what made the difference? Because this is a player who's, you know, no shortage of talent. And we've all talked about her breakthrough moment. She made the U.S. Open finals, but had a very, you know, difficult matchup against Sloan, one of her best friends. And, you know, we all know it was a very emotional final. But uh, did you see something here that, you know, that change? I mean, I know she's super aggressive. Do you see any technical adjustments or anything change in her game? And, uh, a lot of people are saying she could be a contender, you know, at this tournament.
1: of it. Yes, a couple of things need to happen for her to be a contender, and they, they did happen here in Cincinnati, I think. She's she, her first serve has to, get, has to get her the amount of free points that it deserves. Uh, and, the, and secondly, she, she has to be able to hit those counterpunch winners on the run. You know, when, when you watch Madison Keys play, you watch matches where she lost or she had a disappointing outing. What you will notice is when she's put on the run and she's hitting a running forehand or a running backhand, she will either try not to really go for it and land it somewhere in the middle of the court only to lose the shot, to lose the point in the next shot, or she will go for it but miss big. You know, she will miss uh, by a couple of... Uh, Two or three meters, or perhaps to, the, to not to the bottom of the net, but way below the tape level into the net. Whereas when she's feeling good, when she's playing well, uh, she, she, you will see her hit running forehand winners from outside the court down the line. You know that's a, which is a low percentage shot, but she can pull that off. And the uh, confident Madison Keys is able to hit those running winners. Uh, not so confident. Madison Keys doesn't hit those uh, th- those running winners, so I think that's the that's the biggest difference between her game. When she does well, is to hit a lot of first serves in and get a lot of free points, and secondly, uh, get the uh, perhaps get the upper hand on the scoreboard early in the set. That way, you can uh, put some confidence in your in your vault, and along with that uh, vault, you can hit those running winners. Because let me tell you, when Keys is hitting some winners from outside the court on the full run, that's the best shot that I've seen in te- in, in tennis in the last year or two. I mean, you, a lot of people can hit big winners. Okay, Serena can, Kvitova can, okay, Pliskova hits some great winners. But when Madison Keys, Keys is hitting winners, she's hitting them on the full run from incredible angles. And that, that's just beautiful to watch. Sometimes, like Del Sometimes. Potro, <laughs> Yes you know on the, on the men's side Del Potro on the forehand side especially when he's off when he's playing well he does the same thing too but, but Keys is also able to do it on on the on the backhand side I'm, I mean it's it's really beautiful she's really a beautiful uh, she has a beautiful taste to watch when she's playing well
0: hmm. uh, let's talk about another player the defending champion Naomi Osaka I mean last year you know like tennis punditry how it goes and uh, you know the stock goes up stock goes down we all know She's won two majors. Everybody was talking, you know, in different podcasts, different forums, you know, at least double-digit majors for her Uh, after coaching change this year. uh, It's no way a bad year when you win a major, but it's just not the same ride. And uh, not sure how closely have you followed this, but uh, do you see the ability in her to bounce back and shake off, you know, some of the inconsistencies of the summer at the, the Big Apple and maybe make a successful run? for a title defense?
1: Yes, I think she can make a successful run for a title defense here. It's, it's, once again, this is a, a lot of this is gonna depend on what, what we're gonna see when the draw comes out. Uh, but I think Osaka, once she makes it past the first three rounds, I would say not even second. week. Like if she makes it to the third round, uh, or even fourth round on the first weekend, um, I think she's, she's a threat definitely simply because she has once again you know when you look at Osaka's game uh, at least fr- uh, from the baseline and on the serving side and on the returns too you don't really see a clear weakness and uh, when her um, when, when her game clicking on all cylinders she's another player that can uh, that can really blow you away on the court so uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with Osaka as one, one of my top four favorites. Uh, and, if, and, if she die, and if she has a good showing in the first two rounds, that's just going to solidify my, uh, my view even more. Hmm. She's not the same I would not put Osaka and Keys, Madison Keys, whom I was talking about earlier, in the same um, in the same uh, basket because Osaka can uh, can you know can keep her level between say six and eight over ten, over six or seven matches. Keys can give you a match where she's playing ten out of ten and then go below five for a set in the next match. That's the difference between those two. That's why I am putting Osaka personally in my top four favorites, in my personal top four, and Keys in my next uh, five to eight. So
0: who's the fourth uh, one? That's the only reason why. The
1: other people may not agree, but that's the way I see it.
0: So who's the fourth one in the top four? Is it uh, Serena? Because I know you said Halep, uh, Ashley, Bardi, yes. Osaka, and Serena.
1: Yes, there's the big question mark with uh, Serena's physical situation, but I have Serena, Simona, Ashley, and Naomi as my top four. Yes.
0: And like Matt Zemeck would say, Bianca has to be number five. Uh, do you agree with that statement?
1: Uh, Bianca uh, Andrescu would be. He put he put Andrescu, for example, ahead of say Pliskova.
0: He didn't give his four, but I remember you know he made an argument, and uh, okay, yeah, no,
1: no, he can yes. And Um, I
0: kind of like I kind of like that argument because I think uh, uh, way Andrescu, you know, in a four month absence, came back and just like won Canada, like you know nothing had happened in between.
1: And, uh, oh, you're she, she, talking about you're talking about Matt's article that he yeah. he wrote. Just uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, okay, yes, yes. He 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 definitely makes a good argument, and you are right that uh, that uh, if you wanted to make a good if you wanted to make an argument for Andrescu, you could. Uh, you know, I guess I guess you could even make an argument for Andrescu to be one of your top four. I mean, it would be hard to argue against that. But then again, you could do the same for Pliskova, you could do the same for Madison Keys. So it's a, it's a very open five to eight. I mean that's why I got on my five to eight. Pliskova, Keys, Kvitova, mm-hmm. and Andres.
0: Okay, let's talk but, about uh, four four champions who have been awfully mm-hmm. either cold or injured or just haven't had quite the run. And uh, can they make an impact here? Uh, one is Muguruza, one is Angelique Kerber, uh, Sloane Stephens, and I, I will even put Petra Kvitova. You know. So, Mm-hmm. So is there anyone in this four, because they've all, they all know how to win a major, they all, all have done it, and uh, Sloan has done it in New York, Angie has done it in New York, so uh, talk about that.
1: The only one that I can, out of those that you just counted, even, even though I, uh, they, they're all capable of winning majors, for this particular US Open right here, the only one that I can uh, somewhat see pulling such feet off is, uh, is Sloan Stevens simply because uh, you know she can she can go on a run and and then pull it off she can come off uh, a, a bad stretch of tournaments and still win a tournament big tournament she that went the year she won the US Open if i remember correctly she, she it was on the heels of a big injury uh, comeback run and uh, so Slo- and it's in the United States where Sloane Stevens feels comfortable playing i can see her pulling off a run like that i just don't think um, kerber or Mugurutha are in, are in the right form to do it hmm. it's, too, it's too many hurdles for them to overcome, I, I think, unless, unless, again, you know something happens like I mentioned earlier, where the top players have unexpected losses early in the tournament, and then all of a sudden you get to the round of 16s, and Kerber looks like one of the you know most seasoned, if not the most seasoned competitor out there, then maybe that's possible. But uh, I would still take um, I I would still put Stevens as having a larger chance to pull that off than the others.
0: And Mert, we all know because Sakib, um,
1: sorry, sorry, Sakib, I didn't mean to cut you off. But just to support what I just said, um, you know, when when we reached the quarterfinals of uh, of French Open, we thought at that point we thought Simona Halep had a clear path to the top, to the trophy. Uh, because of the, because of when you compare it to the other seven players, that she was she she had a major title in her belt at the French Open. She was the clay Course was her top uh, favorite surface, etc. And then she went on to lose to Anislova. So you know anything can happen there.
0: All right. So let's uh, use the the same approach we took about Novak Djokovic. Of course, uh, none of uh, the girls uh, have been as dominant as Novak. Uh, This year, you know, he's uh, won two majors, but uh, is there an Opelka? Not necessarily the same model player like with Serving, but is there an Opelka or a dangerous floater that can cause a first round upset, according to you, or first week upset of either Osaka or Bardi or uh, Serena or Halep? Uh,
1: Yes, uh, what is, is, um, I guess I, I would need to look at the rankings and see, but what is Donna Vekic ranked? Right now, do uh, do we know? I can look it up very yeah, quickly. I, I, I can look it up as well. So, I don't but, uh, but the, the, here's a player that I feel has the, has is very smart player has a lo- has a lot of shots in the book. carries uh, her concentration level is exemplary. I, th- I think she should be somewhere between twenty and twenty five. I'm she, not sure. Yeah, she's twenty <laughs> three in the rankings, right? So uh, you know, the, there's a player. Obviously, she's, she won't face anyone in the first round because of her seeding. But there's a player that I can I think can go far and do well. As for a non seeded player, can give uh, that can give a top player trouble. Is Mar- is Sakari uh, ranked? Uh, I would need to see Sakari's ranking. Uh, if you can look that up, that'd be great. I wonder if, if she's going to be um, uh, seated. I don't think so, though.
0: Yeah, I'm looking. But uh... Sakari is seated. Uh, she barely yeah. makes it. She's number 31.
1: So, ah, okay. So that would have considered her a very tough first round. Absolutely. Okay, so Who's going to
0: miss the cut? Daniel Collins and uh Putinseva and uh, Monica Pui, uh, Mukova. they are like few names. I mean, but I don't know. Oh well, like, yeah,
1: like, put is a dangerous floater if she's not going to be seated.
0: Ostapenko is mean, going to be seated.
1: Yeah, there you go. Wow. OK. Yeah. so there are some players out there. On, on the women's side, there I think they could perhaps the question we should look into, rather seeing how the last, uh, how this year's majors went, is how many of the top 16 seeds are going to make it to the fourth round? It, that would be an interesting question. that would be an interesting question to ask
0: is it fair to expect maria sharapova to deliver like an upset when she's coming after a layoff you think she still has of course she has a fire she's a champion at heart. but you think she can knock a seed or two
1: or yes yes i think it's fair to expect that you know she's 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 had a couple of matches under her belt uh, at some point uh, i would think that she would expect that herself you know uh, herself too in terms of making a making a run in one of these big tournaments. So, yes, at least one, you know, whoever she plays, depending on the draw, whoever she plays as a significant name, uh, I think it's fair to expect her to to get through that round at least. You know, there's also, uh, I don't know, for example, is Alison Risk going to be seeded? Uh, I don't know what she's ranked. I think she's... She's probably in the 30s also.
0: She's going to miss the seeding. <laughs>
1: Okay, see there you go. I mean, there's another very good player. Victoria Azarenka is gonna is gonna be another floater. There's Alexandra Uh Yeah, there are a lot of good players that I would think uh, are are floaters. And here's a name that I guarantee you none of the top players want to face first round is Iga Swiatek, the Polish girl.
0: Or Kai Kanepi.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. Those are players that uh, none of the top players want to face in the very first uh, in the very first round. And then of course you have to watch out for. For Americans, you know, there are some uh, uh, Americans that nobody wants to face in the uh, at the U.S. Open. Well, Venus, Venus Williams, for example, Jennifer Brady. I would think that would be another player that nobody would want to face early. Uh, I can't think of. I can't. No one else comes to my mind for now. But uh, there are there are plenty of players. Lauren Davis, for example, would be another player that uh, that any of the top players would not want to face.
0: How's Coco Manavis for? How's Is part she part someone part? Uh, can be a factor
1: or? Not um, If I had to pick, no, I would say no. I mean, I, I totally respect someone else who thinks otherwise. But uh, I think she's, uh, it's too early, and her game is very prone to, to error-making uh, if she's not 100% uh, physically. So I, I don't expect uh, anything out of her uh, this time around. All
0: right, Murt, I think we covered quite a lot. And uh, before we wrap this up, any, have you followed the Andy Murray comeback? Uh, he's uh, just definitely said enough of doubles. He got what he wanted from the doubles competition. He lost to Tennis Sandgren yesterday. He's thinking about going to challengers. Uh, not sure how many or if any matches have you seen Andy play when he lost to Richard Gasquet last week. Uh, just uh, some of your thoughts on uh, the Murray comeback.
1: I saw some of his some of his play against um, Dennis Sandgren. Uh, he's, he's not playing worse or better than I expected. Uh, it's going to take a long time. But in my opinion, as long as he can continue to play without pain, in other words, if if his injury doesn't reoccur and he continues to play, he will eventually make it back to top 10. Uh, Just like, you know, Agassi made it at the time. He went back to challenges a couple of weeks and then eventually came back. Uh, Kane Shikori pulled a similar uh, comeback uh, a couple of years ago. So, yes, I think Andy Murray will eventually come back. I don't know if he'll be a you know, major contender like he was in the 2012 to 2016 period. But uh, given that his physical, you know, his, his physical doesn't make a comeback, I see no reason why he would, he would not be back within a year or 16 months back to top, top 10 and becoming the nightmare of many other players like he was before.
0: Yeah, the, given the state of the tour, I mean, he definitely knows how to win best of five set matches, and he's probably inspired by his three biggest rivals. Uh, you know, uh, he you know he wants to be back on the same court. He's a competitive guy, so we wish him well. And uh, two break. For sure, that's the big
1: tragedy. That's the big tragedy of men's tennis in the last uh, three or four years. You know, Andy uh, Andy Murray's absence since. Uh, it would be such a different discussion. Even today, our discussion today would have been so different, you know, had Andy Murray been in the picture.
0: Yeah, a lot of people say that he's a distant, there was no big four, or he's a distant fourth in the great rivalry. That's fine. But like you just said, now his absence kind of magnifies, you know, the void. When he was there, you know, he was clearly the fourth best player. And on a given day, he, he had beaten all three of them. You know every now and then so now of that course. void is magnified even more because there's no one else raising their hand you know to to stand in that podium next to those guys and uh, two other breaking news stories this uh, today are I think Yanko which has, has called it a career and then uh, Mikhail Yuzny is going to be coaching Denis Shapovalov not sure how how permanent how long term of an arrangement is that so not sure if you followed those two stories today.
1: Yes, I did. I did both of them. We'll we'll see how that how that works out. It's very hard to uh, it's very hard to call. But Mikhail Yuzny is one of the smartest players that uh, that I've seen when he used to play. Now that that translates into coaching, especially a player like Shapovalov who plays on instinct. Uh, so it's it's going to be it's going to be tough. Perhaps Yuzny is going to grow a couple of gray hairs there in the next couple yeah, of months.
0: and maybe it's a two-degree separation. Shepovolovs maybe is indirectly being coached by Boris Sopkin now, <laughs> because Yusny was more <laughs> like a more like a son to him. Uh, yeah. Anyway, Mert, uh, it's getting late. Uh, I know you have classes to. No, has the semester started? Or are you still enjoying the last few weeks of summer? It's
1: it, the, it's starting next week. I'm in the process of getting the uh, syllabus done for the semester.
0: All right, Don't mm-hmm. be hard on those students. So. Thanks. Thanks for thanks for thank joining. You. This was a delightful conversation and I think we kind of uh, we kind of navigated really well through both fields. We spent, you know, a little more time on the ATP. We had to be deep dove and Zverev and Sitsipas and some of those names, but I think we also covered a lot of names on the women's side. Uh, tune into the podcast, uh, go and review the podcast on different platforms uh, and we thank you for your support, share it with your friends. And this is Saqib signing off on behalf of Mert and Matt and everyone on the team. And we'll be back with another episode next week uh, talking more U.S. Open.